Karina and uh, myself and our family have lived in um, Papua New Guinea, up in the highlands in a place called Compium for about 21 years now. And um, uh, we work in a hospital there and Karina is the principal of an international school, um, which we're going to show you a video about that in a second. So, um, yeah, so um, without wanting to repeat too much, probably what, what we're going to do here is we're just going to show um, two videos. One is <coughs> a video about the school. One of the things that has changed for us in the last few years, um, I have to say this is all down to Karina, is um, we've taken on a role of uh, helping MAF in a more serious and connected way. Now, for those of you who don't know what MAF is, that's Mission Aviation Fellowship. Uh, some of you were involved in the recent, um, what shall I call that, fundraising party <laughs> uh, the other day, which was, I have to say, that gave a huge amount of encouragement to our friends uh, up in MAF. Um, but anyway, um, MAF have families joining them from all over the world, uh, particularly from Europe, actually. Uh, which is interesting, and of course they all need to learn Melanesian Pidgin, which is the trade language of Papua New Guinea. And um, what Karina uh, set out to do was to really um, build up a relationship such that they would, those new families would come to Compium and have their language training done there. And that's been going on for how long now, Karina? Two years maybe? Two, maybe three years? Yeah, Pre-COVID, so it must be three years. Um, Anyway, so that's been marvellous, really, really marvellous. But um, one of the spin-off benefits of that is that they have sent their media people, because they have you know, quite a big organisation, to um, do some bits and pieces stories about Compium, of which you're going to see two. Um, so one of them is uh, the work of the school, which we haven't really talked about a lot uh, during our time up the front here, but those of you that get our newsletters will have uh, heard bits and pieces about the school. But that's really become... It, the school is really sort of... The ministry we had no idea that we were getting into um, because of course we went there to work in the hospital and um, having uh, Tash and Ash at the start of that, Tash was um, nearly two years old and Ash was just a few months old, we had to work out how to school our own kids. And so that started off with this homeschooling journey and then eventually branched into this little international school which has now become really um, inextricable to the hospital because we realised over time, we should have probably known this at the start but we didn't, that um, if we were going to get staff to work in the hospital in a really remote place, we had to actually provide education for their kids because there is no education and of course people want to get their kids educated not just at a basic level but at a good level and particularly the higher educated staff, the doctors, the accountants, they've often come from very good schools and of course they want the same for their kids. So it was, a, it was a real problem for us because we were losing staff continually because of this. So now it's sort of we've got the opposite issue happening because now we have this really high quality school and actually people are coming to join the hospital because of the school. Um, so that's really, it's just, and we never saw that coming at all. Um, so that first little video, which goes for about six minutes, is about that. And then we're going to show you a story um, about a guy who had an accident happen to him. And maybe I'll tell you a little bit about that um, before that. But maybe we'll play the first one and then uh, go from there. Thanks, Nick. You're the technology man. Well, I just want to say um, a big hello to you all, um, Russell and Wendy uh, Conwell and family and um, the church family there. And 
just want to say too how thankful we are that you've had this um, idea to um, contribute towards um, some the, the new building project for us and to fundraise and and even just having the idea is very very special to us and we appreciate it very much. Well, I can give you a little tour just of our um, existing building and show you uh, what we we do. Um, in here, I've just got a very cramped office and uh, hope, we're hoping to develop a reception area. Um, and in through here, we have our library, um, just a small space. At this stage, we'd love to have um, a bigger space, uh, which another building might afford, but yeah, for now, this is um, where we have our library. Here is our um, multi-purpose room, uh, which is a space that we can all fit in at the moment um, uh, for um, assemblies and devotions in the morning. This um, school started back in 2008, um, really out of need of our own personal need but also the need of staff um, at the hospital who come from other provinces and are concerned for their children's education. Um, so yeah, it started off in 2008 with just uh, 10 or 11 maybe yeah, uh, students, just a small um, number of students that we had. We had a, a, a man who, a teacher, who was our first principal um, for that year. Um, but then after that, he left um, for a job elsewhere and it sort of became my um, responsibility <laughs> to keep the school running uh, since then. So I've been more involved um, from 2009 on up until the present time. And the school has grown over the years. We've got a few um, pictures from year to year. Uh, you might recognise um, the Commonwealth when they were with us. They were part of our student group. Um, which was really nice. It was lovely to uh, they formed our very first high school group. Um, uh, our numbers in this year are 55. We've got 10 kindergarten students and 45 students upstairs um, in the classrooms. So it's pretty busy. And for the size that we have, um, we feel like we've really um, met our capacity. <laughs> Okay, and upstairs we have our um, our classrooms um, for lower primary, upper primary, and secondary. Um, yeah, secondaries are in the yellow room with upper primary students, and then we've got our um, blue, green, and red rooms, which are lower primary students. So they um, all have their own offices, and they work um, and do their pace work at their offices. And we can also use the use the um, rooms for the afternoon group activities as well. For our uh, 55 students, we have um, 10 staff. We try and keep our classes uh, small-ish and we've got two um, staff members, a supervisor and a monitor uh, for each um, classroom. Um, from up here, you can actually see quite nicely where um, we're hoping uh, to be able to, to uh, build another building one day, which will increase our capacity for um, our students. Kongen International School is somewhat of a unique school, I think. Um, we have a very close relationship with the hospital 
and in fact um, it's become an important part of um, keeping staff w uh, working at the hospital so for sustainability um, of the staff there because they're all concerned about the children's education as well. For many of the staff the school is an important part of um, why they stay and uh, so that yeah we see that as um, a big contribution we can make to the Ministry of Hospital. So when I think about the the needs for the future of this school um, we feel like even at this present time we're not um, meeting the needs of the hospital um, with our limited space so having an extra building uh, will be um, a big need for us so we're hoping to be able to um, afford another building just like the one we have um, that we can put over on the other side of the road and um, that will give us some more classroom space and um, and hopefully a bigger library and a bigger kindergarten area because at the moment they're, they're quite cramped up in a little space and so we've had to limit fairly rigidly our, our intake for kindy. But every year we're, we're turning away um, applicants and um, people who want to be able to put their kids in school. Uh, the only finance that we have for the school is school fees so that's how it's operated. Um, we don't have any regular um, input from government or any yeah any other source um, so it's all school fee based um, and in a remote area like this it's you know quite a challenge just to keep that um, balance um, the school fees with what people feel they can afford and uh, yeah the needs that we have um, so we wish you all god's blessing and uh, look forward to yeah keeping in um, closer contact and and uh, yeah, in touch as the project develops. Um, so thank you, we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, so sorry, there were some names there that I should have explained. Um, we, there, there was a, another church in Brisbane that had been supporting us and wanting to fundraise to help that building project and, and those names are relevant to them. So um, this second story is a story about a guy who's uh, actually still in the hospital. Uh, he'll be there for many months. Um, and I just threw this story in because it just helps to give you some perspective. I mean, perspective is a word that we, you know, keeps coming back into my head because I think it's, it's something that we all need and it just helps you sort of get some balance to life. And, um, and perspective in PNG um, about how things work is, is showed well in this story. This guy comes from a place that's about three days walk. We're in sort of, I mean, all of PNG is remote, um, but this is really remote. I mean, um, the road, we have one road, it finishes where the hospital is. There's no road further north from us. Beyond that, you walk. Or if there's an airstrip, there's about half a dozen airstrips scattered across this huge jungle area, you can get to that. Now, this guy's about three days walk from where we are. Um, so, you know, what I want you to imagine is what happens to this guy. He's in a garden. The main work for men is clearing the forest to make the garden. So they chop down the trees and then they pull these huge logs to make these fences. And he does that and the tree falls the wrong way and he runs to get out of it and it just nearly shears his leg completely off through the middle of his um, shin. And he's lying there in the mud underneath his tree. There's no one around. He's just screaming. And eventually they sort of find him. <clears throat> and then they do what always happens in rural PNG is they, they have to make a stretcher because there's no ambulance service. 
and so they they cut together some some uh, tree branches they they make a sort of a mat and they put him on it and then they carry him for about 12 hours and i've done this walk um and it's exhausting it's up and down hills and then they get to the nearest airstrip and it just so happens that we were able to get a plane for this guy early in the morning <clears throat> get him to us and we had him on the operating table within 24 hours which is nearly a miracle in that scenario i can tell you that you know, uh, for most people, they would wait for, well, many of them would never get any help at all. Um, so just try and imagine that. Um, but if they do get help, it may be many days before they actually see see help. Um, and that's just the normal. I mean, it's just, you know, when we had this guy in theatre, the two of us were looking at each other, the two doctors, and just thinking how amazing it is that this guy got here within 24 hours. And then just trying to think you know what what does that look like for most people who go through this sort of a thing can can you even imagine that because i think you know we've been so used to such good services for so long that it's almost unimaginable that if you know peter or someone had a farm accident that you wouldn't get help of course you'd get help someone would you know get you to a hospital eventually but the whole idea that you might never get any form of help is just it's unimaginable to us and yet that's actually quite a common event in Papua New Guinea. So we'll just play this story for you, and then...
to get in here, but with strategy, it would have been very serious because the infection would have been so bad. When you think of the fact that that's the normal for most people in rural Papua New Guinea, that you know, have something like that happens, unusual to get a plane so quickly and get out so quickly. Most people are going to be suffering for a long time, so it's very sobering. You feeling all right now? Yeah, so you can see we, we have about um, 10 other centres besides the hospital and, and um, airstrip. So you can see how closely we sort of depend on groups like MAF to, you know, to provide a basic service. Um, just a quick shot of the hospital. It's a quick time player here. Got it? You're a guru. There it is. Yeah, so this is looking to the north. It's just on a little plateau. That's all the hospital. You can see the school building there on the right. And looking out above the mountains. It's just, you know, there's nothing beyond there. It goes a long, long, long way uh, of just forest. And the people, people often ask us how many people live in Compium. And the answer is we don't know. Um, because people don't live in big congregations. What those buildings represent is where the government decided to put an administrative post so, you know, school uh, clinic. But most people live scattered out um, on their land and they have a garden and their house. And so actually reaching people with services is very difficult and counting them is near impossible. So we don't really know is, um, is the answer. But yeah, that's our home. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's a really, really beautiful place. So um, a lot of uh, people have asked us about COVID and, and um, um, Paul wanted us to say something about yeah sorry it's not COVID don't worry about it um, um, and how that's impacting PNG um, look it's actually quite difficult to have the conversation in a way um, one of the things that it's probably needs to be conveyed is that the way the developing world looks at a problem like COVID and the way that the West looks at it are two completely different stories and I hope you have some understanding that. I'm trusting you have some understanding, but it's, I have to say I'm a bit discouraged by the media coverage here because it does sort of give a sense that there's only one way to deal with COVID properly. And that, which is, you know, lockdowns and not singing and da-da-da-da-da. Um, but, of course, that response assumes a certain level of wealth and it assumes that you know, you're going to keep getting money and that you can go to the store and do all of the things that you have to do to survive every day. Whereas if you, and if you, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's happening in Fiji at the moment, but of course Fiji was one of these islands that by virtue of the fact that it is an island didn't have any COVID. And now all of a sudden they do have COVID and they're trying to lock down and do all of the things that you're supposed to do and people are starting to riot because of course they've got no food and they've got no income. And so, you know, this is one of the things you take for granted that Australia has been able to bankroll this response with many, many billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of government support in order to pursue a certain direction. But in, in the developing world, of course, you can't do that. You know, so if you tell someone, well, you can't come onto work because of COVID, what am I going to do? There's no, there's nothing. So it's a totally different response. And um, so we've gone through this situation where the government sort of felt that they were because what happens often in these countries is they feel like 
we're uneducated and we look to Australia because they're very educated and we should do whatever they say is the right thing. But they don't realise that the Australians don't really understand, you know, the developing world well um, at all. And um, so the idea that perhaps you need to have a different response. I mean, I'll leave you guys to argue about what the right response is for Australia, but in PNG, it ain't this way. That's all I can say. Um, and you have to accept the fact that, yeah, people are going to get COVID. Um, basically, COVID has run rife throughout the country. Not nearly as many people died as we expected would die, which is good. Um, it's a place where there's lots and lots of infectious diseases all the time. So in the week when Radio Australia were ringing me up saying, you know, how's it going with COVID? It's going... I said, well, I just had you know, two people die from pneumonia and one from meningitis and haven't had any deaths from COVID this week, but you know, that's, that's pretty normal. So you sort of hold all of those things in balance, and that's really been the key word that we've been struggling to sort of try and articulate is it's about balance. It's not about saying COVID's all a conspiracy and it's all Bill Gates trying to take over the world. or you know, we don't, We're not saying that. We're just saying it's about balance. You've got to hold it there. You know, an experienced soldier is not going to, you know, concentrate on only one weapon or one attack. There's things happening all the time and you have to hold those things in, in balance. So that's really been our struggle. Um, and then, of course, the other side of it, which is not probably not well known in Australia. It's going to be well known to your children, unfortunately, but it's very acute in developing countries. And that's the economic side of it. Um, PNG is a country that depends very heavily on the resource sector, oil and gas, mining, and those projects just got shut down. Um, and in mining camps, as this recently you've seen in the Northern Territory, this happened, of course, mining camps, they all live close together, so just all of a sudden the whole mine's got COVID. They're not necessarily in hospital or dying, but they've got COVID, and so they just shut it. And when that mine contributes 10% to the national economy, you know, that's a big hit. So the economy's just fallen off a cliff and what that looks like for us is that they can't buy pharmaceuticals. The operational money that gets given to the hospitals has been cut by 90% this year. Um, so it's been really, really pretty tough. Having said that, um, we've just been really encouraged by how God has provided through some very unusual means, ones we didn't see coming. Uh, we're still, you know, we're still looking for support but we're still running which is a lot better than a lot of health services at the moment. So, um, so we're, we're praising God. But, um, yeah, so just perhaps, I mean, I'm jabbering on as usual, but perhaps if all of that, you know, can help to give you some sense of the perspective of what's happening in another country and how they deal with all their usual problems, like that guy and his tree accident, plus the COVID on top of it, um, if that leads you to pray, be more thankful for the country you live in, um, perhaps complain less uh, all of those things would be good uh, for all of us So now Neil wanted me to pray um, um, some things that you can remember to pray for we've had in the midst of all of this we've had a number of couples um, decide they want to join us goodness knows why <laughs> um, which is really quite marvellous uh, one of them you already know about. I think that's Diana and Jerome from Mount Gambia. We had lunch with them yesterday, which was lovely. And um, so they've just got their work permits. I, th I don't think you guys know that. Just two days ago, they got their work permits. And they've now got a departure date, which is August 20-something, 6th. Yeah. 
So it's all happening for them. And um, it's great. I mean, it's marvellous. We're building their house for them at the moment, which is exciting. It's going to be a huge shock. I mean, no matter how much you prepare yourself for something like that, and they're doing their absolute best, it's, it's still, it's a different planet. I can tell you, it's a different planet. There's tribal fighting going on at the moment, nasty killings, terrible things that I can't say in front of children um, going on at the moment. Um, and it's a place with a virtually no government, which is almost impossible for you guys to understand what that means. Um, you know, where we, we're worried about, you know, this, that and the other. There's, this is a place where there's zero government happening. And that is quite a hard thing for a Westerner to get used to when you see, like, the bridge just fell down, well, where's the government, you know? Well, there ain't none, you know, we're going to have to do something about it or... It takes, a, it takes a long time to get used to that, that you're going to have to, you know, certain things that just should be done aren't being done. So it sounds simple, but it will be hard for them to get used to that, so pray for them in that regard. Um, and then they'll have to go through language training and cultural adaptation. They're Australian, but they're also Dutch, and that's a different level of adaptation too, because... You know, the Dutch do things at such high levels and they're very disciplined and very... I mean, these guys are fantastic. And PNG really is, you know, quite a different way of life and different way of doing things. So it'll be a huge leap for them. So pray for them. Then we've also got um, uh, another couple with us um, by the name of David and Emma Moore and he's an English doctor and she's a teacher or she's um, teaching at the school at the moment, which is there with us for... Two months, and then we've got another family. Uh, he's a paediatrician uh, from Queensland, and they're also thinking of praying about joining us next year. So I can tell you, 12 months ago, none of this was even remotely in our thinking. So it's really quite amazing what God can do. So pray for all of those people. Pray for Dr. Rebecca, who's holding the fort back there at the moment. When tribal fights are on, it's never easy. You get terrible injuries coming in, and she's quite a junior doctor, so it will be quite stressful for her at times. And continue to thank God and uh, for the provision that's come and for keep, keep remembering him. Um, I read a verse in, I think it's Moses' psalm in Psalm 90 or perhaps it was Psalm 91, I can't remember, the other day, where it just talks about you know, these verses where you, the prayer is that may the beauty of the Lord be upon us and may he establish the work of our hands. And that, that really resonated with me that, you know, um, that... You know, may first of all God's holiness and beauty be upon us, but may the things that He wants to achieve be the things that we're in line with, and may He establish that. Because of course, you know, we're not going to be there forever, um, and so you want that this would go on, and He would be glorified as a result. So, so I'll try and lead us in just some of those prayer points, and then I'll sit down. Father God, we. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to come together and to remember you. And As a group, as a family, um, a family that includes people from all over the world and uh, these people in Papua New Guinea too, that you have cared for and that you have treasured and you've sent your son for, that uh, some of whom will be present and singing your praises before the throne along with people of every tribe and tongue. We thank you for just the physical expression of that care that we can see in the uh, groups like MAF, every time they pick someone from one of these remote places, it just reminds us of how you care for people and that um, your light, 
the light of the Holy Spirit is the one that seeks to edify and to build people, to rescue them from darkness, to give them education so that they can understand themselves and the world better, more accurately, and to live in it and to grow in it and to be sound in body and to be strong. All of those things are a reflection of what your will is for us to be growing and to be more whole as you intended us to be. So we thank you for those expressions at the hospital and at the school too. And we just continue to commit them to you. We want that they would grow and that they would be established and that you would be glorified in a place that's very unstable, um, in a place where people don't trust, they don't believe because they've been betrayed uh, and they themselves betray so often. We pray that you would build something that would last and be solid and give glory to you. And we pray for those doctors. We pray for um, Jerome and Diana and getting ready to make the move across uh, into a completely different culture. And when all of the fanfare and the well-wishing and the send-offs are done, they'll be there and, and having to get used to a very different way of life. And we pray that you would encourage them and give them wisdom to understand it, to understand themselves and their own responses to difficult situations and to understand the people around them and to quickly gain insight into... Uh, the way people are thinking. So bless them and make them a blessing. And we think of the Moore family and the Lean family and these other families. The Moore family there at the moment, Dr. David and um, Emma, their son Joshua. Lord, bless them and encourage them and guide their steps as they consider their future, being there for only two months and then going back to the UK to consider what they'll do next. We ask that you would guide them and for their good and for the good of those around them as well. And uh, we pray for Dr. Rebecca, carrying this big load and um, um, her family responsibilities as well, her daughter Bina. Uh, we just want that you would bless her. She has big exams coming up. She's carrying a full load clinically and we ask you would encourage and strengthen her in every way. And for the management team that make the decisions in this difficult environment, that you would guide them and strengthen, unify them. We know the way that Satan wants to use little things, petty things, to create jealousies or annoyances that can break down relationships. We ask, Lord, that your grace would cover that and enable that glue to hold and to get stronger that binds them together as a team. Lord, we commit it to you. We thank you for all that you've done. We look back on it with amazement, even from ourselves. So continue to bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>